What is up, everybody, and welcome back to Three Foot Attack of the American Soccer Podcast that kicks around three big topics, and we got three big ones for you tonight as the U.S. Women's National Team had their much-awaited showdown with France and came out winners thanks to Megan Rapinoe. She may not be a big fan of the president or the anthem, but she is a big fan of scoring goals, and she showed that in France. Once again, U.S. men are moving on to the Gold Cup. They won their group looking strong. We will talk about that briefly and touch on the turmoil inside the U.S camp that was recently spotlighted by the New York Times. It is three foot of tackle. Let's get it on. And we are pleased to be welcomed back once again by the man, the myth, the legend, the man who taught me to love the beautiful game. M. Slip, how you doing, man? Doing all right, man. The, the student has become the teacher in this relationship, <laughs> for sure. Well, you know, you inspired a lifelong love of learning. It's always good to be talking footy with you, so let's get right into it because there was a lot of questioning. Maybe they were in for a little bit of a hard time facing the host nation. The team's not quite at full strength. There's some line of questions, but the U.S. women's national team looked, maybe not great, but they looked strong, and they got past France, and they're on to the semifinals of the World Cup. I did not watch this game. I <laughs> I was I was working today, but I was following it on my phone, watching the scores. I did actually watch the uh, France Brazil game earlier in the tournament, and I, and I was fearful for the U.S. women. France showed a lot of fortitude against Brazil and a lot of skill. So to jump on the bandwagon with everybody else, you know, this is probably the biggest game of the tournament, and we came through. When it counted. Yeah, I think there was like a lot of just nervousness, I guess, you know, in all the in all the pregame preps. I think most people expected the U.S. to win, but they were worried. I don't know that I was quite as worried, I, I, but I had seen France play a lot. They got a lot of attacking firepower. Like I said, the host nation, solid on defense. They got that giant Wendy Renard who, you know, she her force was felt. She ended up scoring the goal for France. They almost came back and equalized. And like I said, the U.S. didn't necessarily play great. They were a little off their game. Alex Morgan still not necessarily getting it done. But the defense shined. France really struggled to find chances like all game. And I think that was the big deal that, yeah, the U.S. got their goals. You know, Rapino scored on a free kick and then scored another one on a nice counterattack play. But the defense is really what, what won it for the U.S. And I think a lot of them, every, everyone shouted out, you know, even Rapino herself was like, yeah, this this one, this one wins on the defense. And they just stymied the French attack everywhere at all at all turns. So it was great to see. Yeah, how was, uh, I think her name is Le Summer, Le Sumer. Oh, yeah, Eugenia Lissomare. She she was all right. She didn't really get the ball at her feet. She was struggling to find touches. Didn't get a lot of ton of good service. She wasn't too effective, to be honest. I, I thought she was okay, but again, the U.S. was very good at limiting everything France was trying to do in attack and like, busting up a lot of balls before they could get to her. So that was that was good to see, for sure. But she's a good player. Amadine Henri, really good player. Majri, the left back, awesome player. So... Uh, the the French team had a lot of firepower, and and now the sort of the the narrative coming out of it is oh well that was probably that was that should have been the final. It's it is crazy that you know two highly ranked teams meet in the quarterfinals like that instead of the final. But I think you know teams you know a lot of the pundits that are saying that might be selling some of these other teams short. You know Germany, the Netherlands, Italy, the uh, England, even you know a lot of those squads have a lot to offer as well. And yeah, we'll see. We'll see if it if. If it does turn out that the, the best match of the knockout stage was a quarterfinal between U.S. and France, I think that'll be pretty unfortunate for us as, you know, World Cup fans. The reason I ask about Lusomer, this will sound strange, but maybe it'll maybe it'll resonate. When I was watching her play against Brazil, she reminded me of Lucas Podolski. Like she okay. Has, 
she has kind of a similar build and a kind of a similar style of playing, which cuts in very aggressively from the wing. And I just thought, oh, man, that's that's a potentially dangerous opponent there. And, of course, Henri as well. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I guess probably the difference between the U.S. and a lot of these other contenders is just it seems like we've got sort of two of everything you know, in terms of our depth. They might have an Amadine Henri, but we've got like two players as good as her. Unless we just really screw up or get injured or bad calls, I think it's probably under our control from here on out. About an hour before kickoff, they dropped the lineups and Haran did not get the start. She eventually did come in after about an hour, but Haran was not starting and everyone's freaking out. Oh my gosh, we're playing France without Haran. What are we going to do? But the rest of the team really stepped up and maybe it's time for all these Johnny Come Lately fans that just started watching soccer and especially just started watching women's soccer, you know, a couple of weeks ago. It's time to admit that the the coach of the U.S. women's national team knows her team a little bit better than some of these uh, insta pundits that have popped up on the social media. You mean the one who won the World Cup last time? Yeah, you, you think she, she might have a thing or two to, to say about who should start for the team, I guess, in the big games? I don't know. Rapino was awesome. I actually, I, you know me, I'm a big DraftKings fantasy player, and I, I had a bunch of lineups in with Rapino, and I, I, like a dummy, I traded her out for a few time, a few spots. Uh, cost myself some money by doing that, unfortunately. But I don't know, I was just a little bit – I don't know why I would I, – I, I guess I was a little bit worried that her head was not quite in it after she sparred with the president verbally uh, and on on Twitter. Uh, I don't know. Regardless of whatever you think of the politics of that, I, I do think it's not necessarily a good look for uh, the U.S. key soccer player to be in a highly public spat with an elected official, you know, when the tournament's not quite won yet. But we'll see. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't distract him as they got a couple more games left to win. Yeah, well, you know, as the official podcast wet blanket, talking about our celebrations against the minnows, I just, yeah, I'd also say, you know, again, just win the tournament and then you've got hand. I'd say whatever you want to anybody. Hypothetical negatives never really help anybody out. I agree. And in fairness, she was asked about it. It's not like she just like came up and I don't know with that quote that she wasn't going to the White House, but. Regardless, she showed out, Megan Rapino. I mean, she showed out today. You know, it doesn't really matter if she wants to sing the anthem or not, I guess, if she's going to keep scoring goals and taking us through the tournament. That that's ends all, politics that's it for the corner. Political. Yeah, that's it. that ends politics corner of the podcast. What do you think about the U.S. going forward? Are you going to be able to watch the game against England semifinal? Where, do you, I know U.S. versus England soccer match is always kind of tough for you. You feel a little conflicted. so Not too conflicted when it comes to the, the women's game and frankly not all that conflicted when it's the, the men either you're a damn limey in disguise all these years <laughs> later i can't believe it why don't we go ahead and turn to the men for our second topic of the night because they have uh, advanced out of group play at the gold cup looking pretty good I, I thought the win over panama was pretty nice just a solid all-around performance from the team and they did a ton of rotation they put in a bunch of subs and everybody you know wasn't a huge offensive explosion but the team played well together and Eventually, they put some of the star guys back in towards the end, and the team got clicking and beat Panama and went, won the group, moving on in the Gold Cup. Not bad. In a surprising turn of events, I did watch that game. Nice. Congratulations. <laughs> so, we're very really proud of you. As you could probably tell from the, the text I was sending you during the game. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty workmanlike performance. In a lot of ways, you could see why some of these guys are backups. Some of them I thought were pretty limited. Although some of it I couldn't tell, you know, is this because Lovitz just isn't very good? Or does he not know what 
Burhalter wants him to do because he was driving me crazy for a while where I was, I was saying, go forward. No, don't go backward. And Lewis, you know, as I, as I told you, he, he has blinding speed, but that's kind of about it. And which is surprising because I looked him up afterwards and apparently he played in like an English academy when he was younger. And so I, you, you would think and hope that he had better technical skills than he showed in that game. But, you know, on the bright side, I, I thought Miazga looked really good. Mihailovic had some moments. Josie Altador, I mean, you know, it was a poacher's goal, but he made it. Go, he did it with Golazzo, style. Yeah. Poacher's Golazzo. I mean, he bicycle just. He had the instinct. You could see, like, in the slow-mo replay, like, when the ball was sort of floating up, his eyes got really big, like, oh, my gosh, I can go for a bicycle on this. So he pulled it off, man. He he flipped it over and got it down target. Not a bad little finish for the Joes, man. I'd like to see him play more of, like, a hold-up game, although I'm not sure if it really works in Burhalter's formation. You know, I think you kind of need to play 4-4-2 to have that hold-up, strong forward who sort of holds the ball up and then has a strike partner to, to finish for him but maybe at this age he certainly has the build to do that and maybe it's getting to be the time where you know he needs a more limited goal scoring role because he had some earlier misses that were pretty bad who's your number one striker for the u.s is Artis or altador i like that boyd guy <laughs> i like kiwi <laughs> Yeah, everybody likes Boyd. Yeah, Boyd and I'll, and Boyd and Pulisic are, on, are are the wide men. Who who do you want in the middle between them though? That's I'm putting you on the spot here. Between those two, I'd go with Zardis reluctantly. I just you know I think he's got you know more explosiveness at this point, but neither one of them has exactly blown my uh, socks off in this tournament. You? I got a soft spot in my head for Josie still. Uh, I, maybe I'm just being swayed by the bike kick, but Zardis has sort of the connection with Burhalter from his Columbus days. And I like the athleticism. I love the hair and he does. He, I love the aggressiveness and sort of the, just the head down. Go, he's going for goal every time, you know, he do, he's not trying to be too cute with it. And I think that's actually good, especially considering there's some other better technical players that can do the cute things around him. So I don't know. I, I don't hate Giassi, but I, I think I'll always kind of prefer Josie. Well, what about Jordan Morris? Can he be the future center forward for us? I don't see, he, I don't th- see uh, Morris as a center forward. Uh, he does like to shoot, but he's pretty nice on the wing. I, I don't think he's any anywhere near better than Pulisic or Boyd. But as sort of an energy sub to come in late in a tough match, I actually love the fact that he's on the team for sure. Physically, he kind of reminds me of James Milner, big, strong, energizer bunny type. Yeah, kinda top wonderly. heavy. He kind of yeah. top heavy in the shoulders, if you will. Yeah, and maybe, you know, he's, like, strong enough. Because I always thought, like, before Milner came to Liverpool, particularly when he was with City, they would usually play him out on the right wing. And his strength, he could just kind of hold people off and maintain possession out there until he was able to do what he wanted. And so, you know, maybe that could be Morris's kind of role. He, frankly, like, you see Morris play, and, like, if he was wearing, like, a Leeds United shirt, you would be like, yeah, this guy is one of the – he's one of the best players in the championship. And that's probably Jordan Morris' level. That's his ceiling. Yeah. Well, 
Uh, the problem is he doesn't want to leave his girlfriend and go over and play in Europe. So, <laughs> so uh, we'll never know if he could be the best player in the championships. But no, Morris is not bad. I like watching him play over Sounders, and he's a good piece to have on the team. I, I would hate if if he was a guy that we were relying on to start every game. I don't think we would be in a good spot. So, but we're winning the group. Do you have any Gold Cup thoughts as far as the looking ahead in the knockout? There, it's I mean Mexico showing signs of. Maybe not being quite as threatening. Jamaica, not all that great. Yeah, Curacao, I mean, I don't know. Not exactly a hot take to say that they're sort of the dark horse. They're basically like, what, the second division of the Dutch League, essentially. Sort of Eredivisie juniors in terms of where these guys are are plying their trade. So they could be dangerous. We certainly shouldn't overlook them, but I'm not... Not too scared by them. Anything less than runners-up in this tournament would be pretty poor for the U.S. I agree there. They've got they've got to get to the final for sure against this slate of competition. The narrative in this Gold Cup is sort of the rise of the island nations. They didn't necessarily advance, but Martinique, Bermuda definitely acquitted themselves very well. Curaçao getting, uh, moving on to the knockout stage. Haiti winning the group with a perfect record, so... It's kind of the the theme of the tournament for me, and I think the U.S. does definitely needs to be on their guard. But I don't I don't see them with too much to fear from Curacao. It's, it it'll be a matter of once again, can we break them down? Can we put the balls in the back of the net? Because I, I do expect we'll dominate possession pretty easily. So yeah, I get the feeling like maybe this is part of like Burhalter's implementing his tactics. But there there are times I'm watching the U.S. in this tournament, and I just it's like. You know, when I'm coaching the 13-year-olds, when you have the opening to shoot, you better shoot it. Especially at this level, you just get fractions of seconds where you might have an opening to get an open shot on goal. And sometimes I get the feeling like the U.S. is, they're thinking about it too much. Like, what does Burhalter want me to do? Okay, cut it back, cut it back, cut it. Oh, and now we've passed it to the other team. You know, some of those were just going to have to be, I think, a little bit greedier and, you know, put some shots on frame. The tension is always between playing direct and just trying to use our athleticism and, and power, go through some of these smaller teams versus playing technical, doing what the coach wants, play just good soccer. And that tension, I think, has always existed inside the U.S. men's national team. And it still has yet to really be resolved. But I do think that there's something to be gained in this tournament by trying to lean towards the more technical side and not just defaulting and reverting to that power and pace game that we we might have because we could win we could easily beat curacao just by trying to jam it down their throats but is that necessarily going to prepare us best for the next level i don't necessarily think so like i said last time i'd I'd like to see us sort of develop a style of play and i guess you have to actually do it to get it done i just by the same token we don't have any lionel messi's on our team so we're not going to walk the ball into the goal so it's a fine line you just have to figure out where it is and know when to pull the trigger well speaking of tensions inside the u.s men's national team i want to touch real quick on for our final topic of the night on this article that came out in the new york times this week about just kind of the, the shit show that's being run inside of u.s soccer it, w- it was very illuminating some anonymous accounts so you don't know necessarily how, to, how far you can trust them but a lot of employees basically what happened is they went on this website Glassdoor which lets you rate your employers and it seemed like a coordinated effort by a lot of people inside of U.S. soccer to go on Glassdoor and leave a bunch of negative reviews and talk about how terrible it was to work for U.S. soccer so whatever you think of that move in terms of whether it was the right way to shine a light on things going on in the workplace what, what do you think Mike about some of the stories we heard about 
culture of fear, uh, nepotism, ruling the day, morale at an all-time low. Not good things that you want to hear from a, an organization that's gearing up to get ready to host the World Cup in seven years, right? Every time I read these kind of stories about soccer federations, and it seems like you can hear similar things about the English FA or UEFA or FIFA, you have to stop and think, hold on, whoever like elected these guys or... Whoever said that U.S. soccer is the representative of all soccer in the United States? You know, how did that happen? It's kind of like royalty. How did the Windsors become the royal family? Well, I guess the answer is if you go back far enough, one guy beat someone else over the head with a sword. And that was it. And it's, there's probably some equally sort of shady way that a lot of these things got their start and the way they've been perpetuated. Because, yeah, what happens with sort of absolute monarchies and dictatorships? You have a lot of cronyism and nepotism and all this kind of and chicanery and bribery and sort of all the stuff you see with these uh, international and national athletic organizations. You know, again, all the various soccer ones I named or the International Olympic Committee and the various national Olympic uh, organizations uh, i don't know it's in some ways it's maybe it's just unavoidable in any organization you don't have to like each other to succeed you do have to all be on the same mission all on the same page you have to have the same goals and i think that's the thing that could really short circuit the u.s teams and u.s program and system is if you got people in there with not all working towards the same goal. And if, if some people are trying to just do it for personal enrichment and other people are trying to build, you know, grow the game in this country and other people, you know, just doing it for a power trip, I, I think that's where you're going to start to see problems. And I, I'm not a soccer insider, U.S. soccer. I don't, I'm not inside those halls. All I can do is read the reports that are being written by the New York Times. So I'm pretty far away from it as far as knowing exactly what's going on. But, you know, I think that I'm decent at reading situations from – the info that I've been given. And it doesn't seem like we're in a good place as far as going forward and, and getting the, the national team, like I said, to move to the next level. We want to be on that level where we're competing among the top, you know, eight to 10 teams in the, in the world to be recognized as the best and thought of as a team that can win the world cup every, every time it comes around on the men's side. So I think a lot of the problem is, you know, in a normal organization, if you had that level, you know, that, 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 bad of a morale problem they would go work for the competitor you know or a competitor would say hey i can do better than that you know there's so there's some accountability outside accountability and there just really isn't because it's you know sort of this de facto monopoly for all of organized soccer in the u.s it sort of all feeds up to to u.s soccer and again i think we're probably even a little more dysfunctional than other major western or industrialized countries when it comes to that just because we were kind of johnny come lately's to big time soccer and so i think for a long time being involved in u.s soccer was so grassroots i think when we saw all those scandals it was like well this is some guy who was like an insurance agent in New Jersey, and he really liked soccer in 1972, and he managed to get himself on the board, and he's, you know, had the apartments for his cats and stuff like that. So I think there's just been probably even even more sort of amateurism, and at least in maybe the FA and some of the other European countries, they've got guys who probably are, have been more ingrained in the game for longer. So I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know what the answer is. I guess. You know, with these employees trying to take it public, maybe they're trying to get at least some accountability through public opinion. The way you put it, 
it makes me think that maybe these are just kind of the natural growing pains of growing up out of that sort of provincial, you know, hey, whoever's interested gets to be in charge thing to now we're more, you know, professionalizing the federation. To that, it you hate to see the growing pains come with it, but if that's the case of what it is, then probably it's probably not going to be a problem long term. It'll probably actually be healthy long term. So talent will solve everything, I think, or not solve everything, but it'll improve a lot. Like because that's the ultimate accountability. It's one thing for you know, the day-to-day employees to put negative reviews on Glassdoor. But when we've got 11 Christian Polishiches, Polishichai, <laughs> and, <they're laughs> saying, yeah. <laughs> and they're all saying, what the hell is going on? Who's running this show? When they're going public with it or threatening to go public with it, if things don't improve, then I think that'll be you know much more leverage and accountability might might be forced upon them so unless we really really probably purposely screw things up we'll get better well said well i think that we're going to leave it there then for this episode great to hear your take on some of these issues and make sure you get a chance to watch that england u.s women's game even if you have to duck out of work or get it streaming on the office computer or something i mean it's the semifinals. come on bro i'll do it you know i will well hey thank you so much mike always a pleasure i will catch you down the line thanks for everybody for listening to three foot of tackle thanks for having me you get a shiver in the dark it's raining